0: It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, there it is. Since the moment the New York Mets traded Max Scherzer and then subsequently Justin Verlander, we waited, we wondered, we guessed, we prognosticated. Who will the Mets go out and sign and fill out this rotation? And on Sunday, January 7th, in the wee hours of the morning, you probably were awoken by a tweet from John Heyman, who let us know that Sean Manaya, no relation to Omar, not even spelt the same, Sean Manaya signs a two year deal with the New York Mets and opt out after year one. And that essentially fills out this rotation, which means the three figures they needed to add were the three starting pitchers. And I think three was the number that most of us agreed on that they were going to have to add three starting pitchers this offseason. The three guys are Luis Severino, Adrian Hauser, and Sean Manaya. <laughs> Welcome to Rico Bronya! And I haven't even bragged yet that I kind of nailed this one. Not the Sean Manaya part, but when we signed off the last Rico, not everybody listens to the very end. But if you did listen to the very end after you downloaded Rico Bronya, wherever you download your podcast, and you subscribed to Rico Bronya, wherever you subscribe to your podcast, whether it's Odyssey or the Apple Store, or wherever the hell you go... At the very end, I said, Pete, our next podcast will be discussing the third starting pitcher the Mets are going to add because they're going to add one in the next couple of days. And I made clear I had no insight. I had no sources. It was just an educated guess. And sometimes the educated guess is the right on guess. All right, here's my reaction to this. And I think this is the reaction most of us would have or should have. Very underwhelming. This has been a very underwhelming offseason. That doesn't mean it was a stupid offseason. That doesn't mean it was a will pond offseason. That doesn't mean why bother watching 2024. But I think going into this offseason, we all were sort of on the same page in terms of what they needed to add to this rotation. My view back in October was give me the high-end potential risk. Luis Severino fit that. Give me the back-end guy who can eat up innings. Quite frankly, Adrian Hauser or Sean Manaya could have fit that bill. And then give me the reliable guy. Give me one guy that you're adding that I know what I'm getting from them. Obviously, Yamamoto fit that, even though we had never seen him pitch. But based on his track record in Japan, he certainly would have qualified that as that. Jordan Montgomery certainly has been a name I brought up on the last pod. We've talked a lot about this offseason as somebody would fit that bill. The Mets didn't have that guy. That's just the reality. They didn't. That doesn't mean Sean Mania, because he started throwing a sweeper on May 10th, doesn't have a great season. He could. That's the beauty of baseball. That's the hope that we're all going to have going into opening day. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm certainly not going to tell you it can't happen. But Sean Mania, Adrian Hauser, and Luis Severino, none of them, none of them give you reliability. In terms of the reliability they needed in this rotation. So is this a bad signing? Look, I don't think any signing that's a two-year deal, you know, an opt-out after year one, which Sean just had, by the way, with the Giants, and used the opt-out. So Mania's coming off a year in which he had a four and a half ERA, made 10 starts, appeared out of the bullpen 27 times, had a four and a half ERA, and he opted out. Which which shows you that. It's not going to take much, especially with the way the starting pitching market has looked over the last few years, for Manaya to opt out and make this a one-year deal. Uh, the finances on this. It's $12 million a year, Pete. I apologize. I just got out of playing in the snow with my kids after I saw the signing. It's $14 million. It's a
1: 28, 14. 20, $28 million. Yes. How was the okay. snow, by the way?
0: The snow was great. Uh, we had a great time. <laughs> we built the snowman. I tweeted out the picture. I'm sure it'll be mocked. Actually, the first few tweets I get back are, what about your opinion on Sean Mania? And I'm like, can you let me play in the snow? Then I'll record the Rico. Like, <laughs> I'll give you an opinion. Obviously, I have one. Um, all right, $14 million a year is insane. I mean, let's just be honest. That's, but, but that's the market. So when I say it's insane, it's not insane that the Mets gave it to him. It's just that's what it is. I mean, look at the money Severino's getting off of a bad year. What the Mets did with these three moves. Is they gave you stopgap guys and they gave you guys they're not committed to long term and they gave you guys that they're hoping have big years in a contract year, even though Sean Manai and Luis Severino are coming off contract years. They didn't have big years. So, what's underwhelming about this is there's no reliability in this rotation after Sanga and Quintana. And I wanted them to add that and no. I don't think there's another move coming in terms of starting pitching. I'd be surprised. I think when you're paying and a $14 million a year and you're paying Luis Severino what you're paying him, I, I think you're paying them to be in the rotation. Sometimes you got to read the tea leaves on that. So if the Mets went out today and added Jordan Montgomery, would that make this rotation really deep? And you could say, wow, that, now it looks good. It's like the Bob Ross Art Ross, Bob Ross, a painting analogy I used where let's see the end of the offseason and then your views on those things will be kind of change a little bit. There's, a, there's not another starting pitching move coming. I'd be stunned. If there is, it's a low end depth guy. If they're not adding Jordan Montgomery. They're not adding Imanaga. They're not adding um, a middle to top of the rotation guy. It's not happening. This is the rotation. And the depth pieces, because now they have five guys, obviously, with Senga, Quintana, Hauser, Severino, and Minaya. The depth guys are the same depth guys from last year. Tyler McGill, Joey Lucchese, and then after the all-star break, David Peterson. The only move I can see them making, to caveat this, is still Brandon Woodruff. But I think Brandon Woodruff is more of a move for 2025 than 2024, because he's not really going to be able to pitch in 2024. Your first reaction to this, and then we'll dive deeper, Pete.
1: Yeah, I'm not thrilled. I understand that he added a sweeper pitch, which everyone is, you know, hell-bent on. Like, everyone's obsessed with these sweeper pitches, so I know his numbers uh, have got, got better. But Sean Manaya was, years ago, in Oakland, I was a fan He just hasn't done it for me. I've seen him too much blow in big spots and just San Diego. He didn't have a good run. I'm just, I'm not a fan of the move. I understand. Hey, you completed a rotation. I disagree with you on some things you just said about them adding more pitching. I think there's tons of space where they could add three, three pitchers, but we'll get into that.
0: Well, well, well hold, on, hold on a second.
1: Three first
0: of all, I I'm saying starting pitchers. I didn't say bullpen. So if you're talking about bullpen arms, fine. But you think they're gonna have three starting pitchers? Okay, hear me out here. Brandon Woodruff is a must. So Okay, and- but Woodruff, let's put to the side because I think that's different because he's not gonna help them in
1: 2024. But they're gonna pay him in this year. They're oh, gonna pay so him fine. this year.
0: Like I like I said, I, I think that's – I'm not betting on it, but that's a possibility. I, I'll definitely admit that's a possibility. I wouldn't count them, though. I wouldn't count them as adding a starting pitcher only because it has nothing to do with this upcoming
1: season. That's fine. I think that Michael Lorenzen's a guy who could be a swing guy. I think that he's a guy who's pitched in the bullpen but also can give you innings in, uh, as a starter, and that's someone they need because the other guy that I'm going to throw out here with Kodai Senga having that six-man rotation seems to be obvious. They have to go that route because Senga can't pitch every five days, and you're going to get so many – you're going to have so many missed starts between Severino. Uh, Manaya is going to miss some starts. You're going to – a lot of people are – you're going to have to have more depth. Trevor Bauer, I know you hate this. I know it's not going to ha- – people say it's not going to happen, but think about this. When they brought in Edwin Diaz, The best closer at the time. They were paying Robinson Cano to do that. Trevor Bauer does not, is not going to get over $10 million. He might not even get $7 million. If they bring him in for a a 10 cents on the dollar, now's the time to do it. And you could still have a a Benaya as depth, but Bauer as that potential home run hitting, not home run hitting, but, but Cy Young type of pitcher as your two or three. Yeah, I think the Mets are going to stay away from Trevor Bauer because of kind
0: of the embarrassments they've had over the last few years. And I do think that Steve Cohen doesn't want to risk, and I don't even think it's equated to the free agency from a few years ago. I don't even think that's the issue. I think it's more the risk of this organization, who's already been embarrassed with the Jared Porter situation, the Mickey Calloway situation, even though that didn't have anything to do with Steve Cohen, it's still the Met umbrella, if you will, the Met brand. I don't think in a season like this, a year of transition, not a year of we're one player away, that they would take the PR risk of signing Bauer where something more comes out. That's the risk, not what's already happened, which is controversial enough, but MLB suspended him for a record amount of games. And I don't necessarily think they did it because they don't like him. I don't think they did it because Rob Manfred is sensitive, even though Rob Manfred is sensitive. I think they probably did enough research and were worried enough. But I, I disagree. I'm not saying you're wrong and that I wouldn't add another starting pitcher. I want to make that clear. I would. You never have enough starting pitching. And if you're adding swingish guys like Michael Lorenzen, and Sean Mania is a swingish guy. I mean, think about Sean Mania last year. He made 10 starts. The rest of his season was coming out of the bullpen. So Manaya being an arm out of the bullpen could happen if you had enough starting pitching. So I'm not against it. I just don't know if I expect it, especially after they just invested, you know, $30 million combined essentially between Luis Severino and now Shawn Maniah. I wouldn't be against it. I don't know if I expect it. Here's the challenge the Mets are facing. First of all, one other thing about Sean Maniah, I was reading about this a few days ago. Uh, Baseball trade rumors put this out about how Mania added the sweeper. We both have referred to it. According to StatCast data, he started throwing it on May 30th. He threw it an equal amount of times to lefties and righties, and the results when he threw that pitch, which started in late May, were incredible. He got a swing and miss percentage of 35%. Opposing hitters hit 140 against him, and when batters made contact, The exit velocity was 82 miles an hour. So I get it. We're diving deep to rationalize, but I wouldn't say it's diving deep to rationalize. I would say it's diving deep to understand because what you try to do in free agency and trades, we look at the past because what else can we look at, right? We analyze what a guy did, but we really trying to predict what they're going to do next because good or bad which Sean Manaya did last year, much like Blake Snell last year. Blake Snell won the Cy Young last year. A part of why I haven't been intrigued by him is not just analyzing the past, but it's projecting the future. So the reason why looking at the data on a new pitch Sean Manaya added is, hey, maybe, and this is, of course, the pipe dream we hope for, but you never know it's baseball. The dream is Sean Maniah puts it all together. The dream is this pitch, this sweeper, they added in late May, all of a sudden becomes a pitch that he's perfected and Sean Mania finishes fifth in the Cy Young voting. I mean, I, I know that may not be likely, but that's the hope. That's why I can never go into a baseball season. And you can yell at me for saying I'm too optimistic. It's not about being optimistic. It's about I've seen enough of baseball to know that every time you think you have it figured out, you get bit in the ass. Like as negative as any of us have been as Met fans, did any of us think the Mets were going to be selling at the trade deadline this past year? None of us. Other than Frank the Tank, there is no Met fan that went into this season thinking it's going to be a disaster. And that's the beauty of baseball. Because none of us are going to have the opposite expectations this year. None of us are going to pick the Mets to win the World Series. But you try to look at what's on this roster and say, well, how could it all come together? And one of the ways it could all come together is by analyzing this sweeper and thinking, oh, lefty, 32. He's had good years before. Maybe with the Mets pitching lab, he puts it all together. It's not a prediction. It's more of a hope, and it's more of kind of why you analyze these things, trying to think, okay, is there an upside to Sean Maniah that we're not seeing? Now, here's my concern, and this is a big one. Let's look at who the Mets are replacing. Let's not forget that. So in the first half of last year, they got 19 starts out of Max Scherzer. And in those 19 starts, he pitched to a 4-0-1 ERA. If you got that out of any of the three guys the Mets just acquired, 19 starts prior to the trade deadline at a 4-0-1 ERA, you know what we would say? We would say, good job. We would. Would we not say that? Severino's a little bit different. Let me put him to the side because I think we have higher hopes for him. If I told you, Sean, uh, I'm calling you, Sean, Pete, and I don't mean Morash, I mean Manaya. I'm thinking about Manaya. Hey, Pete, if I told you going into August 1st, Sean I would have made 19 starts with a 4-0 winning ERA, what would you say?
1: I'd say that's kind of where we expect him to be or need him to be. Because expectations, if you look, his numbers at his best were a little bit below a 4, right?
0: It depends, you know, with him, it depends on the year. So last year, last year was a tough year to look at because he only made 10 starts. So I prefer to look at just what he did in his starts and not what he did out of the bullpen. What he did in his starts, I'll give you the answers in his 10 starts, was pitch 46 innings to a 4.82 ERA, which is not great. I mean, it's less than five innings per start. It's an ERA near five. The year before that was basically that. He pitched to a 4.96 ERA in 28 starts. The year before that, is the year you're really hoping for. He made 32 starts to 180 innings and had a 3.91 ERA. You got to go back to 2018 for when he had one of his best years and pitched to a 3.5 ERA. So what's the expectation based on the last few years from Maniah? All I know is those numbers I gave you from Scherzer, we would be pretty happy with. You'd
1: have to be. Yeah, no, especially because we're not paying as much money too. That's a, and, and, and and here's a stupid thing. Ev, I, I can't believe we, you and I and all the fans discussed this. It's like, We care about the money. Like it shouldn't matter. It really shouldn't matter anymore because we do have an owner where the money doesn't, is not as impactful as it once was.
0: I I don't care about the money. The reason I bring up the money is I think that tells us what the guy's role is going to be. No, now Steve Cohn has the ability to say, no, I paid $14 million for a swing starter. Okay, let me see that. Because right now, my belief is. The money they gave Harrison Bader tells me he's an everyday player. The money they gave Sean Maniah tells me they're going to have him start every five or six days. If that turns out not to be true, then to back up your point, that's Steve Cohen showing I don't give a damn. But that's the only reason I care about the money. It's not caring about it in terms of, oh, my God, how do you give that guy that money? It's more that's telling me how they view him. Because how else do we know until the season starts or until... Carlos Mendoza tells us. You almost read the tea leaves based on the amount of money a guy is making. So the Mets are looking to replace 19 starts, 4 ERA from Max Scherzer. Justin Verlander, until he got traded, made 16 starts. So he did have the IL stint. That's why I kind of put Severino in this mix, because you almost expect Seve to miss time. Se- uh, Verlander, 16 starts, three one five 5 ERA. If Severino gave us that first half of the year, our reaction
1: is what, Pete? Uh, I'd be popping a champagne every, every after every single outing.
0: Popping a champagne. <laughs> popping now, the champagne. other guy, because I want to be fair about this, that the Mets are replacing. This one will be easier. This is the fun part now. Because that's kind of daunting, looking at replacing the production, even of an older, worn-down Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Carlos Carrasco. Because <laughs> he did make 20 starts last year. 20 starts, 90 innings, 6.80 ERA. Which is just atrocious. So what I think the Mets may add is that while they may not get the top end production that Verlander and Scherzer gave him in the first half of the year, hopefully none of the guys
1: they acquired will give them the bottom end production that Cookie took when he made his starts every five days. I gotta be honest with you, I might be hoping that Severino's closer to the Carrasco numbers and Hauser's closer to the Verlander numbers. Cause I mean, what Severino was somewhat close to that too. What was his final tally last year? Six point three
0: nine. He was actually Ooh. slightly better. Ooh. Actually a half a run better than Carlos Carrasco, which shows you how <laughs> bad Carlos Carrasco was. Look, <laughs> Cook obviously Severino was terrible last year. If if he does that again, we're screwed. I <laughs> you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> If he's pitching with six and a half ERA, just back the truck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the other replacement that we need to keep in mind, because I just mentioned first half Scherzer, first half Verlander, entire season Carlos Carrasco is second half Peterson, McGill, and Budo. And I think it's intriguing to see, well, what did those guys do after they were added to the rotation? And again, those are the numbers I'm looking at not what McGill did in April, May, or June, or Peterson did in April, May, or June. I'm talking about they are now in the rotation. They're making the starts every day. They are replacing Verlander and Scherzer. How did they do? And I think the numbers will kind of surprise you because they're better than you think. David Peterson, 10 starts, 50 and two-thirds innings, which is actually pretty high considering his first few starts, he was only throwing three innings at a time. So he ended up averaging about five innings per start and pitched to a 3.73 ERA. Again, you get those numbers out of Adrian Hauser or Sean Mania through 10 starts, you'd say, very good. Be very happy with that, yes. Tyler McGill made 10 starts after the trade deadline through 54 innings. So again, right around five innings per start, and he pitched to a 4.16 ERA. Again, you're kind of hoping that these guys give you that. And then finally, Jose Budo's a smaller sample size. He pitched really well. It was only five starts. Granted, we got to keep that in mind. He only made five starts. 27 in the third innings, a 3.290 ERA. Believe it or not, and this is when the game sort of didn't matter, right? Last half of the season, the production they got in the 25 starts from Peterson, McGill, and Budo were pretty good. Now, the good news is those three guys are on the New York Mets in 2024. Not quite Peterson for the first half because of the injury, but Tyler McGill is there as a depth guy. Jose Budo is there as a depth guy. Joey Lucchese is there as a depth guy. I didn't even include him, and he pitched pretty well. So what's daunting about all this is that when I give you the numbers from last year and I give you the replacements who, by the way, their numbers from last year were not as good. Like Manaya Hauser, and Severino don't have as good a numbers as the men we were just discussing. Severino pitched with 6.4 ERA. Mania only made the 10 starts, 46 innings, 4.80 ERA. Adrian Hauser made 21 starts, 4.23 ERA, so that's a little bit better. You need those three guys to be significantly better than what they were last year. Because if they're not, you're not actually replacing the rotation from a team that was not good enough last year. Now, what we should not ignore, and this is very important, is Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana did not pitch in the first half of last year, and I think that turned out to be a much more significant injury than maybe we even realized at the time. Like, Verlander missing the first month was bad. Quintana's first start didn't come until it was too late. And so as solid as he was, and he really is a solid, reliable arm, six innings, three runs, and that's good, even though it adds to a 4-5 or five ERA. It's the the old joke we discussed a few Ricos ago. Why do we love six innings, three runs, but then if a guy has a four or five ERA, we think it stinks. I don't know, because we're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't know what to tell you. So the positive is you get Quintana, in theory, assuming he's healthy, for a full season. And the other hope is that Senga is second half Senga in the first half. He wasn't bad in the first half, but he was clearly better and more comfortable in the second half of the season. This rotation... Features a ton of questions, but when you think about what needs to be replaced and who's coming in, that's where it's daunting. That's where it's sort of depressing because everything I just laid out leads you to would we almost be lucky to replace the production from a year ago? And the production from a year ago wasn't good enough because the team lost as many games as they lost.
1: But this is why I could see that David Stearns is doing ha, is focused focus. Uh, for the position players, has been on defense because of that. Because of the of last year, the high ERAs across the board, the the low production from our pitching, the defense needs to get better. Now, the only problem is it, it's like one of the it's six dozen one, half dozen the other. If you do get great defense and you still give up the runs, that's not beneficial. If you can't score runs. So they need to find, like we talked about last podcast, they need to have some more offensive pieces to, to be able to compete with high leverage with, with teams that put up numbers. Yeah, so
0: what's so tough to figure out is how much of the Mets improved defense, and clearly it is improved. I agree with you. And I also expect like I would say this about Pete Alonso. He gets maligned for his defense. I think it's BS. I don't think it I don't think it's fair. I think if you watch him every day, you see that he's solid. He's not a Gold Glover, but he's gotten better every single year. I think he'll get even better this year because that's the track record of Pete. Every single year, he gets better and better defensively. Jeff McNeil's a very good defensive second baseman. We know how good Francisco Lindor is. Third base is going to be the question, but certainly the hope is with more experience, Brett Beatty going to get even better. Alvarez was tremendous behind the plate. And yes, as you mentioned, the Mets have greatly improved their defensive outfield. Harrison Bader, when he plays, is a Gold Glove caliber center fielder. The hope is Starling Marte is healthy, and that will lead to improved defense in right field. And obviously, Nimmo as a left fielder is a lot better. So the Mets all the way around should be a good defensive team. How much and how many runs does that save you? That's the question. So for all the guys they're adding and what they need to replace from a year ago, what they're improving from a year ago without question is their defense. And what does their defense do to improve the new term that's used run prevention? Which is pretty simple. like Give up less runs. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And yes, it is connected to the offense because the Mets didn't score enough runs last year. Like as much as I blame the pitching more than anything for the failure of 2023, I'd be intellectually dishonest to say the offense was fine. The offense wasn't fine. It just wasn't, to me, the main, main culprit. But to make up for what could be a very mediocre pitching staff, you can still win. You can still win if you hit enough. And that takes not just internal development from a guy like Brett Beatty having a better year or Starling Marte having a better year or Jeff McNeil having a better year, but also continuing to add to this lineup like we talked about last time. The Arizona Diamondbacks, and you're going to hear that name a lot over the course of the next three months, more than that. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be a name I mention a lot. It's going to be a name everyone mentions a lot because they are the template of hope. That's what they are. They're the template of hope. Because a year ago, the Arizona Diamondbacks were a slightly below-average offensive team. They scored 4.6 runs per game. The Mets scored 4.43. Not a huge difference. The Diamondbacks had 166 home runs, The Mets, on the other hand, hit 215. You see what I'm getting at? Like, the Diamondbacks were not an elite offensive team. And so the hope is, can we be them? I'll give you another one. The Arizona Diamondbacks had a worse team ERA than the New York Mets. Let that one digest for a second. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the team that went to the World Series, had a 4.47 team ERA. The Mets were 4.30. The Mets, as stunningly as this sounds, had a league average ERA a year ago. League average didn't feel that way, but they did. The reason I bring up Arizona is because when you try to have hope for a season that doesn't feel as hopeful as a year ago, you try to compare yourself to a team that shocked everybody. And the Arizona Diamondbacks a year ago only won 84 games, which is not a huge number. And if things break right for the Mets, could they win 84 games? Sure. It's not asking a lot. And then you get lucky. (laughs) And then you get hot at the right time. So I bring them up because that's going to be our hope. Because otherwise, how are you going into this season with an immense amount of confidence? You're not. Now, you don't give up on the season. I'm certainly not one, to. There have been many Wilpon years I went into with the hope of if this breaks right, if this breaks right, if this breaks right. Unfortunately, we're headed towards that season. the season of if this breaks right, if this breaks right, if this breaks right. How much is left for this Met team to do? We spent a lot of time on the offense last time on the Rico. If you missed it, go to our previous episode, you'll hear. They need to add a designated hitter. They need to add one more bat. I happen to think they're done with this rotation. I think they will add a a reliable bullpen arm. There's been some pushback in the email on the idea of trading for Kenley Jansen because why would you pay that much money for an eighth inning guy or that much money for a guy that gets lefties out? My attitude is, on a one-year deal, and that's all he has left, who cares about the money? It's why you pay Sean a $14 million coming off a year in which he made 10 starts. Because it's one year. Five years? That's a little bit different. On a one-year deal, I, I think it's worth it. I don't think there's really that much risk to it, especially if you can get him for very, very little. Now, let's get to some of your emails, B at gmail.com. Uh, Jimmy Kearney writes, a tip of the cap to Luis Guillorme. Yes, the great Luis Guillorme. I'm well aware that not many Met fans will miss Luis Guillorme. He was a below-average offensive player, although when given the time to play every day, he did it and played an integral part of the 2022 season. He did till he got hurt. He got hurt, I think it was in Atlanta, and he missed a month. That opened up the opportunity for Brett Beatty, but he was hitting a lot before he got hurt. What I will miss most is watching him play second base. His glove is unmatched. His pairing with Lindor in the middle infield could have produced one of the best middle infield tandems in baseball. And now he's an Atlanta Brave. It makes me sick. Since I live in the Braves market, it will give me a chance to watch him play, but I can't help but think that the Mets should have brought him back on that same contract. Before Mauricio got hurt, There was no spot for Guillaume, but with him out for the year and the underwhelming outfield personnel you guys covered on the last podcast, I'd have liked to have seen him come back for one more year, allowing McNeil to play some outfield instead of Stewart, Taylor, Bader, Mess. But I get it. It was probably time to move on. I hope he doesn't kill us too much as a Brave. Evan, please give us one last proper name pronunciation for Luis. Has at least one fan who hopes to see him in orange and blue again one day. All right, Luis Guillaume. I will miss Luis Guillorme. By the way, Tiki, who is a part of these Mets text chat I'm involved in, found out something new about Mets fans. Because when Luis Guillorme signed with Atlanta, one of the chat members did what I think a lot of us think, which is, ah, he's going to kill us. Ah, he's going to kill us. You just know it. Luis Guillorme going to kill us. And Tiki, who usually stays quiet in these chats, decided to chime in and rip apart Luis Guillorme's offensive stats and say, why are you afraid of this? He is 655. And I'm like, Tiki, you just don't get it. <laughs> I mean, come on. There have been far worse players that have come back and killed the New York Mets. No one's saying he's going to 330 this year. What we're saying is, in one of the 13 games the Mets have against the Braves this year, he's going to do something to rip our hearts out. Maybe it's a diving play. Maybe it's a double up the alley. I don't
1: know. But we all know deep down he's going to kill us. Let me ask you a question. Was this Tiki Barber or was this bad Tiki New York Mets version that was going at you guys? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Anthony Laporte writes, this is interesting. Your radio position has drifted you from reality. Okay. Got to read that. Got to read that deeper. Evan, you know, I and you are the New York Mets camp. I don't know what that means. I guess we're in the Mets camp. But your radio gig with Tiki has led you astray. You cry for starting pitching for the Mets, but no one has the 1970s Orioles starting pitching staff or the Mets 86 rotation. Starting pitching has resulted in BS. Let Garrett Cole pitch and make 40 starts he won't and win 20 games he won't. Starters are overrated because the idiots in baseball want a, fools, want, a, want a fools like Roberts to pull Rich Hill throwing a one-hitter in the seventh inning. I think he means Dave Roberts, not me, by the way. I think he was calling me a fool. Go have a team who will fight to win a 5-3 game. That's what the Mets need. Paying $900 million to one player is preposterous and not what I or any Met fan wants. If an MLB team can identify draft choices or potential players and develop a farm system, it sucks, and they should be 70 and 92 every, uh, 92 every year. I don't want a team that gets Robbie Alomar, Tom Glav, and Bobby bonilla on ever, and stop saying we need to overpay for overpaid free agents. Oh, and guess what? Stevie agrees with me, not you. All right, let me try to digest what Anthony said. Starting pitching is overrated. There is some truth to that. The truth is it's overrated because there are so few guys that are good and reliable. Your knock on Garrett Cole is completely unfair. If you have a guy, and I know it's not 40 stars and he's not winning 20 games, well, that's just not what baseball is right now. But a lot of other starting pitchers don't even go four or five innings. This guy goes seven or eight innings. That matters. So I disagree. You want to tell me starting pitching is overrated because there's so few of them that I just don't want to overpay for anyone? That's fine. I get that because it's such a risky thing. I've compared it over the last few Ricos or months or weeks to the way we viewed relievers and the way you view kickers in the NFL, that there's such a volatility factor now with starting pitchers. I get that, by the way. But don't minimize the great ones. That's where you're wrong. It actually reminds me of the running back discussion that we had earlier this year where when you have a really good one, like a Christian McCaffrey, you pay him. Oh no, no, no. You pay him. He's worth it. Running backs were overrated because there's so few guys that are reliable and good and can stay healthy that, you know, you find one in the third round and they work for you. And I think starting pitching in a lot of ways become that because here's the homework assignment for everybody out there. Take Eric Cole, put him aside. Rank me the 10 most reliable and best starting pitchers in baseball. Play that game. A year ago, Sandy Alcantara maybe topped the list, and now he's out for the year. Now, who's on that list? Walker Bueller? Till he got hurt. (laughs) You know what I mean? So if that's your point, I get it. And by the way, I don't think being on the radio has drifted me astray. This is just my opinions. My opinions don't change because I'm on the radio or I'm doing a podcast or I'm hanging out with my dad. like my opinions are my opinions. You know, one opinion I had many, many years ago, I wish I wrote it down. Not that that would prove anything. I would question my dad as an eight-year-old on why wins matter. I always did. I said, so stupid. And he's like, well, why, son? I said, because you're relying on a team's offense. You're relying on a bullpen. And I, I'm trying to remember the Cy Young debate. I think it was Steve Ontiveros. Steve Antavaras had like this incredible year rate, a very low ERA, but he didn't have a lot of wins. And then you had Jack McDowell. You got to look this up to see if I'm even right. I don't even know. I think it was like 1992, 1993, and Jack McDowell had all the wins. He was going to win 20 games. And I think Steve Ontiveros had a much better ERA. And that's what got me into this debate with my dad saying, what what are we talking about, wins? It it has nothing to do with the – it has something to do with the pitcher, but you rely on so many factors that have nothing to do with it. I guess what I'm trying to brag about is I was ahead of my time. (laughs) <laughs> or you know what I'm really saying that when the, the death of the win occurred, I was not fighting it because I understood it. I agreed with it. I always questioned why we put such importance on wins. Anyhow, let me get back to his point. The Mets need to overpay for free agents. And this is something I did say on the radio. And I think I've talked about it here on the Rico that when there's a big time free agent, let, let, we're not talking about middle of the road guys. We're talking about big time free agents. A guy that you want Yamamoto was clearly a guy the Mets wanted. Juan Soto, a year from now, I think is clearly a guy the Mets are going to want. I believe until the Mets have established themselves as winning, as a winning franchise year in and year out, not farting in the win years where they win hundred games once and then go back to stinking. I am talking about every single year they are reliably a winner. The way the Dodgers are it doesn't mean you win the World Series, but every single year. You're in the postseason. Until that day comes, and that day can't come anytime soon because you got to do it, the Mets are going to have to overpay for free agents to get them. That's all. And Anthony, if you don't want to do that, you're never adding a free agent. And not every free agent turns into Bobby Bonilla. Not every free agent turns into Tommy Glavin. Alomar wasn't a free agent. Mo wasn't a free agent. But I understand your point. They acquired a bad contract. If you want a guy, and I don't think there's anybody left that fits that bill outside of Jordan Montgomery, who I was intrigued by. Like, I'm not suggesting that with Justin Turner or J.D. Martinez. I mean it with the the guy that you really, really want. Yes, I think you're going to have to overpay. You're going to have to overpay to go get that guy, or else you're not going to get them. Now, let me get to this Harrison Bader thing. I know it was just the New York Post. But the New York Post puts up Harrison Bader is a met with the number 48. This cannot happen. I'll just make that clear. Jacob DeGrom, no matter what you think about him, whether you want to retire his number someday or not, there is a period of time where that number cannot be touched. And 2024 is that year. So you tell Harrison Bader, go get another number. You're not wearing number forty eight. Are we in agreement on that, by the way, Hoff? There's no fight back on this.
1: No, I have no fight back on that. Give him five. (laughs) shut up five
0: (laughs) they also announced the trade deadline date it used to always be july 31st but they moved it around based on days of the week so this year it's actually going to be on july 30th which falls on a tuesday so the trade deadline this year july 30th the other thing was the robbie ray trade let me give you some thoughts on this so robbie ray gets traded from seattle to san francisco for mitch hanniger goes back to the mariners and anthony anthony desclafani who's coming off a very mediocre season. Would Robbie Ray have been a good addition for us? That's the question. So here's how I think you have to analyze it for everyone to come up with their own answer on this. You cannot think of Robbie Ray as a contributor to the 2024 New York Mets. He is coming off Tommy John surgery. He is expected to miss the first half of the season. So is there a possibility Robbie Ray is pitching in August? Absolutely. That is his goal. And assuming there are no setbacks and I wish him all the best, he should be pitching in August. I don't think you, if you're the Mets in this kind of season, trade for that for August. You trade for that for 2025. So the way you've got to determine this, and it's not even the concern of coming off of Tommy John surgery in 2025, You have to look at his contract. He signed a five-year, $115 million deal. He's a free agent in 2027, but he does have opt-outs. And the way you use your opt-out is kind of interesting, especially when Sean Maniah coming off a year in which he made 10 starts decided to opt out of a deal. There may be such desperation for starting pitchers that guys may opt out. So here's Robbie Ray's situation. This upcoming season, a year in which he's not going to pitch until August, he's making $23 million a season. He has an opt-out after this season. So he comes back in August. He makes eight good starts. Does he opt out because the final two years on his deal are $25 million and $25 million? I got to tell you, I think he would. Am I crazy, Pete? Like, if Robbie Ray comes back, whether it's for the Mets because they made the trade, they didn't obviously, or the Giants, and he makes eight starts, three and a half VRA looks healthy, does he opt out two years, $50 million left? Or does he opt in and say, ah, you know what, coming off Tommy John, eight, nine starts, market's not there for me. I would guess he opts out.
1: I mean, listen, I think at this point in time, you see there's the writing on the wall with all these pitchers that have these contracts, that have opt-outs. Once they do well, it's important for them to opt out. They, they can make more money. And I think
0: that there's such desperation with starting pitching that, look, if he doesn't come back, like let's say there's a minor setback, he doesn't pitch in 2024, I'm, then I'm not sure. Then there's the possibility he says, "You know what? I'm going to stick with it." So this is why this deal didn't make sense for the Mets. Is my point? How could you trade for Robbie Ray on a one year deal potentially when he's not pitching till August? I can't do that. So like he- if I'm giving up nothing for him, fine. But I and I don't know what the comparable is of Haniger and Desclafani because it's not like they give a prospect. So what's the major league? You know, is it Starling Marte? Is it Marte and McGill? Okay. Now it's a different discussion. I'm not sure if it is because I still think Marte may be a negative asset. So it's tough to find the comp. And honestly, I would rather deal with the one-year deals and then go after guys in the open market, which by the way, Robbie Ray may be one of them if he opts out of his deal.
1: Now, listen, I think you we, we've talked about this whole offseason where you cannot go and trade for a guy with a one-year deal. It doesn't make a difference who it is, whether it's a high-leverage guy, a low-leverage guy. I don't think um, uh, Robbie Ray is that type of guy that you could bring in anyway. But it, we don't have – is not a bad fourth Or – you'd have to trade a Hauser. You'd have to trade Adrian Hauser for him. That's, what, that, that's the Descafani. That's the type of guy that you're looking to trade. We just get, We just got him. So I I don't think that Robbie Ray was a guy that we can get in in, during the trade market. I I just, it wasn't worth it.
0: I think you have to view it also as, if Robbie had, here's where I think things are different. If he didn't have an opt-out and he had three years remaining, three years, 75 million, which is essentially what it is, $25 million a year. And considering, you know, what Robbie Ray's accomplished in his career as compared to Sean Mania getting $14 million a year, 25 is not crazy. It's, you know, a very reasonable number. If you were trading for the guaranteed three years, 75 million, it's different. It's a little bit different because now, you know, okay, I'm rehabbing the guy. It's like signing Brandon Woodruff. I'm rehabbing the guy, but I got him in 2025. I think that the starting pitching market is so depressed that he's likelier than not to opt out of his contract. So I wasn't mad when I saw that trade, though. It was a very interesting trade that the Giants and the Mariners decided to make your reaction to the acquisition of Sean and I, you can email us to Rico at
1: gmail.com. We'll certainly read them. Uh, in our very next Rico, by the way, I did some research about the Cy Young stuff. That might be a whole podcast in itself because it's very interesting. The 92 year was Eckersley one McDowell came in second with, I, fr- I forgot how many wins it was. a, it was a lot but the next year felt like they. That's gave... the year I think I'm thinking about 1993, right? So they gave McDowell the Cy Young with 22 wins, but Randy Johnson had like 150 more strikeouts than him. I think better ERA, but three less wins. And it yeah, was yeah. I, 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 it's not the Steve Auntesveris
0: year. I don't know where I don't know where Steve Auntesveris came from. I gotta look at his career and I'll find. I'm not it, even but... sure
1: who Steve Auntesveris is. <laughs> he been.
0: but you you are right there is an entire podcast on awards that we got wrong based on looking at the wrong stats and 1993 is such a great example jack mcdowell 22 and 10 337 era 34 starts 4.4 war there were three other starting pitchers with a significantly better war if you want to look at that and then in kevin apier's case kevin apier deserved to win the Cy Young. Kevin Apier had the highest WAR, had a two five six ERA, best ERA in baseball. Significantly better than Jack McDowell. He threw a few less innings. He didn't strike a lot of guys out. That was the big difference. But when you look at McDowell, Randy Johnson, Kevin Apier, and Jimmy Key, you can make a very good argument. Jack McDowell, who won the Cy Young, should have finished fourth. <laughs> that is very, very true. Very, very true. On the net, next that, next that episode, is an entire podcast in its own. You're right. <laughs> Oh, now I got to find my Steve Antavera season. He won the ERA title in 1994. Okay. So that was the Uh, year I must've been thinking about. And he pitched half the year out of the bullpen, half of the year in the rotation, had a two, six, five ERA. So I guess for some reason in 1994, I was thinking about it. And that year, the American league Cy Young award winner was David Cohn. And looking back at the numbers, Steve Antavera did not deserve to win the Cy Young. So. I must have got, I think I got my old baseball opinions wires screwed up or something. David Cohn won the award. And he actually very much deserved the award. But that is a podcast for a whole different day. You just go through like years and years of awards and you look at the numbers and you say, what? Like, how'd they come up with that? That doesn't make any sense. That's a good idea for the future. No question." Again, you can email the pod, the b at gmail.com. We'll try to read as many as we can on the air. We appreciate you listening and downloading. Remember, subscribe to the Rico Bronia. Makes things very, very easy when there is a new Rico. It just pops right into your inbox. The Odyssey app, the Apple Play Store, the Apple Store, the Apple Play Store. Well, 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 you know where you get your podcasts. You're listening right now. So wherever you got it, hit the subscribe button, and then you're all set as the Rico Bronia cruises into the, another year of 2024. We appreciate you downloading. Enjoy the snow. And remember, Evan and Tiki, 2 o'clock on the fan. We'll see you then. Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.